my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Patrick Donadio. He is a certified speaking professional, master certified coach, and author of the book, Communicating with Impact. For the past three decades, Patrick has spoken to and trained thousands of leaders and their teams in a variety of industries, from Fortune 100 companies to associations. His results-based impact process teaches you how to communicate clearly, lead more effectively, present powerfully, listen attentively, and make a greater impact on their bottom line. Patrick is one of the few people in the world to have earned the highest designations in both the speaking and coaching professions. Uh, he has also coached two generations of leaders and their organizations to use his impact process to improve how they lead and communicate. So we're going to talk a, a little bit about his six-step impact process uh, that he outlines in his book. We'll, we'll talk about his book. Um, but first, let me say thank you, Patrick, for, for allowing me uh, this opportunity to interview you, and um, I'm just really excited to to learn about your process and and add value to those listening. Thank you, David. I really great to be here. And you go by David or Dave? Uh, either or. It's okay. Pretty interchangeable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whenever I'm interviewing somebody, I I like to get a sense of where they come from, some of their background, really what laid the groundwork. Uh, for who they are now and and some of their early influences. So let's start off with, you know, where were you born and raised? Well, David, I was born actually in Ohio in a small town in Northeast Ohio outside of a city called Youngstown. And uh, all four of my grandparents immigrated here from Italy in the early uh, 19th, 20th century, around 1913, 1918, something like that. So I'm really... Uh, a culture of my Italian background. My grandparents lived next door. My mom and dad met in high school. And so uh, my other grandparents lived about four blocks away. So my whole world when I was growing up was pretty much all based on this Italian culture that I grew up with. My parents spoke Italian. Um, in fact, my dad actually had a hard time in school because when he started school, you know, he only spoke Italian with his family at home. So that's a little bit about my, um, my cultural background. Um, both my parents are, are not college educated. They're both high school graduates. My dad uh, served in World War II in the Navy uh, as a recipient of the Purple Heart. In fact, if you like, that's another story for another day about how he got his Purple Heart 28 years after he left the service. Um, so like a lot of people probably listening, you know, I grew up in a time when um, communities were a very important part of shaping who we were. And we didn't really like a lot of my family lived right in my town. I had 23 cousins that I saw every Sunday, which is different than today. Yeah, that's, that's impressive. So uh, wh where did you go to school at? I went to our university. 
uh, in Athens, Ohio. Uh, my undergrad degree is in radio television. So um, the reason I chose Ohio University is at the time they were one of the better schools for broadcasting. And a lot of people don't know this. People think of Ohio State right away when they think of Ohio. Uh, but Ohio University is actually the first um, university in the Northwest Territory founded in 1804. So a really nice campus. And it was based on actually Harvard. It's got um, you know very beautiful um, brick buildings and lampposts. And it's a great, great environment. I enjoyed um, going to school there. And again, just going along with the theme about being, being raised in a small blue collar family, uh, I paid my way through college. I didn't have uh, my parents support me. I didn't take out loans. You can't do this today, right? It's, there's no way a person like uh, myself could work a summer job and a winter job and save enough money to pay my own way. Uh, and I worked at the university for the Department of Residence Life. So I also got you know freedom of board when I was a resident assistant. So I'm a big believer in uh, you know, um, the college process, but not everybody has to go to college too. And I think that's a good discussion for people to be thinking about as well. But that was something that I wanted to do and that my parents thought was important at the time because neither one of them had a college degree. Of your early influences, what, what really inspired you to go into the broadcast field? Well, you know, the, one of the things I, I really think is important about, about understanding good leaders, that that is that good leaders are also uh, good inspirers and mentors. And I had some really great teachers in high school uh, that really believed in me. And I'll give you two quick examples. Uh, one has to do with just giving me the confidence to think about even going to college. Um, I played football when I was younger, which is, you know, in Ohio, everybody plays football. <laughs> if you're a young male. And I had some some challenges with fallen arches so I couldn't play football anymore so I decided to be a manager for the football team because I liked football and I was a manager in, in high school and about my sophomore year the head football coach said hey Donatio uh, our student trainer is going to be leaving next year and I think you would be a good person to be a student trainer I said me he goes yeah I, I like I like you I think you have you know you have a lot of abilities and I want to send you away to summer camp to Miami University to become a student trainer. Well, I was just floored because, you know, I didn't ever think that I was, you know, I was a, I was a short, fat kid, okay, you know, and with a name like Patrick back then, I was called Pat, so you know what rhymes with Pat. So I didn't have a lot of self-esteem. So when Coach Napolet said to me he wanted me to go to trainer's camp, I was really surprised. So he encouraged me, and I went away for a, a two-week training program at Miami University, and I became the student trainer. And that belief in me had a huge impact on my, my whole rest of my life. Because it shifted at that point right away. It gave me a lot of confidence. And you, I can get a little choked up talking about it. You kind of hear it a little bit. Because it was really important that that adult leader uh, believed in me. And when I became a student trainer, all of a sudden, everything changed in my life. I, I started working out. I started losing weight. Um, I started going. I, I signed up to be in the musical at the high school play. And then the, the, the high school principal liked me and he said, you know what? We did a little promo for the musical play, you know, in the morning, they make the morning announcements. And he said, hey, Donatio, um, I like what you did. Would you mind coming in once a week and do announcements for the students? I said, what? He goes, yeah, I just think it'd be fun. You're good. I don't like to do them all the time. So I started doing once a week morning announcements, which 
again, goes to show you how I got into broadcasting because he encouraged me um, to do that. And then he encouraged me to be a host for a local cable TV show. They came to the school and they said, you know, we want to do a show. And he said, oh, I got a guy that I think could do that. And it was, it was called Niles Schools on View. I grew up in Niles, Ohio. So that's kind of a long answer to your story. But I think the reason I want to share that is because a lot of leaders are listening today. And I don't think you realize sometimes what kind of impact you have on others when you believe in other people. From there, when you went to, when you went to Ohio University, after graduation, did you continue on? Uh, I, I, I'm trying to get a sense of your trajectory. Did you go on and get your master's degree right after that? Or did you go into broadcasting right away? Yeah. No, I actually, uh, I graduated in 1980. And that was a very difficult time um, back then. The economy wasn't doing that well. And again, uh, another mentor of mine said, hey, listen, if you, if you can't find any work, you know what? you could actually stay on and become a graduate director at the, in the residence halls and you'll get your stipend and you'll get room and board paid for. So I started to think about that. And I thought I had a lot of my friends who were older said, boy, I can't find a job. I said, okay. So I decided that I would go and right away into grad school. And again, at the advice of my, my mentor, Tom Eastman, um, I had actually enough credits to graduate early. So I actually started grad school my senior year and spring quarter of my senior year, I they had an opening come up and they, he asked me to help him. He said, would you mind stepping in? We had this you know, person leave. So I, I went into an all-female hall. I was the graduate director um, my final year, my senior year. And I actually started grad school early. So, uh, so I went right away, got my MBA. And then after I worked, after the MBA, I stayed at the university for a couple of years and worked as the director and administrator, which was a great experience for me. And because I really enjoyed that environment. And it gave me a chance to, again, learn a little bit about what I do today, because as a leader, I had 19 residence halls uh, that, that were under me as, as a, the coordinator for East Green. And I, you know, probably 100 some student staff, um, probably 19 or 18, you know, directors of the halls. So it was a great learning opportunity for me. So right away, I, I hung out at the university, got my MBA, and then stayed there for a few more years. Then... You, you go on into broadcasting, and I'm wondering what inspired you to write your book, because uh, you've got years and years of experience. Clearly, communication is, is something that you're very good at. Um, and then just talking about leadership, I mean, communication is vital for effective leadership. So you're, you're well-versed in, in multiple areas of leadership, and then you go on to, to teach leadership and communication, and you write your book. Can, can you kind of walk me through that and how that developed into uh, what you're doing now? Yes. So after I finished Ohio University, I had the opportunity to go to Columbus, Ohio and uh, take a job as a program director for a state association. Uh, and this is no guarantee. And this is something I, I talk a lot about um, in the book. And that is, uh, you've got to be open to trying new things and taking risks. And so I took this job. It was a one-year grant. At the end of one year, I could be renewed or I couldn't be renewed. And uh, 
that was the good news. I got this great job in Columbus, Ohio for a state association. The bad news was the title was litter prevention director. So when I left the university, you know, people like to have fun. They gave me a, a stick with a nail and hey, congratulations on your new job. And, you know, it was kind of a joke. But the thing that was interesting to me, David, is that job, the responsibilities were to create training seminars on litter prevention for the state of Ohio. So I had to create from scratch, uh, training seminars and marketing materials. And then for that first year, I went around the state of Ohio teaching these workshops. And that's kind of how I got really interested in the idea of teaching and training, because I really enjoyed the opportunity to be in front of a group. Now, of course, as I said before, I did radio and television. And early on, I realized, you know, radio was kind of nice, but it's you're in a little box like we're doing today. There's no audience. There's no feedback. And once I got the taste of doing training and realizing, you know, that the enjoyment and excitement that I received from helping other people learn new ideas, it really turned me on. So my boss left to take a job at another association. I got promoted to the executive director. And very quickly, I realized I didn't like that role. I didn't like the fact that now I'm in the office and I'm supervising the board of directors and I'm in charge of the budgets. So uh, very quickly, again, I decided I'm going to take another risk. And I had seen a couple speakers and I'd hired some speakers when I was the director for the association to come speak at our conference. So I thought, you know, these speakers are pretty good. I could probably do that. You know, a lot of probably too much confidence at the time. But um, so I quit my job and I decided I wanted to be a professional speaker and trainer. And when I did that, I realized it wasn't as easy as I thought. Uh, my first year, I think I made about eight thousand dollars of income. Luckily, I had saved money because I worked at the university. Um, and that's when I learned about the National Speakers Association. And we had an Ohio chapter right there in Columbus, Ohio. So I joined. And that's how I really got into the speaking profession. At a very early age, at the age of 28, actually, I started my speaking business and learned everything I know today and everything I share with anybody uh, about the topic of communicating and speaking from the National Speakers Association. Uh, so that's kind of how I get into the speaking business. Now, the book, the book pretty much came from the concept of I was doing a lot of communication skills. I taught presentation skills. I taught communication skills. I even taught some media training because of my experience in my undergrad degree. Um, and so I got a chance to go to Japan as a goodwill ambassador in 1991. Right away, I learned how different things were. Right. And so they put us through a one put us to a one-day Berlitz training course on Japanese where you get intensively immersed into the culture and language for a day. And so I went to Japan and I stayed with Japanese families for six weeks as a Goodwill Ambassador for Rotary. And it was a wonderful learning experience. I mean, we traveled everywhere around uh, Saitama Prefecture. We went to, you know, different industries and factories and met all kinds of different leaders. And we stayed with very, you know, pretty wealthy Rotarian families. And after my third host, I, I, I was really homesick and I was so tired of, you know, I mean, they have really great cuisine and I just didn't like sushi. So everywhere I went, you know, people would say, oh, he likes sushi because I was being polite. And they'd say, would you like some sushi? And I would eat it and I would smile. And then everybody thought I liked sushi. So by the third, by the third family, I said, they had a couple of young kids. that said, can we go to McDonald's? I said, I really... I'm really kind of homesick and I really would like, you know, some food that makes me remind me of home. And the kids are so excited. They had, you know, they don't go to McDonald's very often. So we went to McDonald's and I got a Big Macu, which, is, you know, that's what they call the Big Mac and the fries. And, and uh, it's pretty expensive. But this is when I realized the importance of having a system because I was eating the French fries in Japan at this McDonald's. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, these French fries taste exactly the same as they do right here 
you know, in the States. And I realized that's because they had a recipe or a system. So once I became aware of that, I decided when I got back that I was going to take my materials and see if I could create processes or systems, because that seemed to show me the value of having a system you can work through. So that's how the impact process was created. Um, and then uh, the book came out in 2017, you know, many years after I was teaching the course, only because it just took a while for me to have the time to write the book. Let's talk about impact. It, it's an acronym. Can you walk me through the six-step process? That, that I'd be happy to. All right, cool. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, the, uh, I you know, a lot of people think acronyms are kind of, oh, well, that's just a fad or something. But I really worked really hard on making an acronym that also had a lot of value. And the reason I wanted to have an acronym, David, is because I wanted people to be able to remember the process. You know, because three steps you can remember, six steps might be a little bit harder. So uh, let me just, I'll walk you through the steps and then we can talk about any step if you want or, you know, go deep on any of the ideas. So uh, is they get a worthy impact, right? The first letter is I, and the I stands for the intention, right? Every thought, every, um, every communication starts with a thought, right? So what's the intention for the communication? And in the book, I actually talk a lot about understanding the why, and I even created something I called a laser-focused intention template. So that's the I step, right? Think before you speak. Uh, the M is the message, right? And the method. So when you think about communicating, you wanna think about, well, first let's take what method's the right method. Should I send an email? Should I pick up the phone? Should I text? Should I you know, create a video like we're doing today? Uh, should I write a letter, uh, you know, make a presentation? So thinking about the method, and then we talk about the message. And I share some, some in-depth discussions about different ways you can craft a message, tools to make it simple and faster for you to create an outline. And we talk a lot about openings and closings because to me, those are the biggest mistakes people make when they're crafting communication. Uh, the P is the person. And uh, David, I don't know, do you know much about personality styles? Have you done any personality profiles? Yeah, actually, um, I'm a, a DISC certified coach and trainer. Yeah, so, so I like DISC as well. So in the P, step, we talk about the person and we talk a little bit about understanding the whole idea that everybody's different. So you shouldn't just send one communication to everybody, right? Personalize the message to the receiver. And just like we're doing today, right? You're asking me questions about me, which be different questions you might be asking somebody else. You're personalizing your interview, right, to me. So that's the P step. So the IMP is the planning of the, uh, of the content. And the ACT is the planning of the delivery. So the A is activate. And in the activate chapter, I talk about two important things. One is active listening. And, uh, you know, I've been traveling the country for, I don't know, 30 some years doing seminars and workshops. And of course, the last couple of years, right, David, we've been hanging here, you know, in our little virtual offices. But whenever I travel and I do this workshop, I always ask the same question. How many of you had a listening skills seminar? And I get about 10 to 15% of the people in the audience answer that question with a yes. So active listening is a very important part. That's part of the activation chapter. And the other part of the activation chapter is what I call active engagement. Uh, and engagement is a big, big topic these days. You've probably seen the Gallup studies. So I talk a lot about how do you engage people physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so that's the activation step. I'm almost done. Two steps left. The C is clarify. So we talk about how do you check for understanding? How do you make sure the message you sent is the same message people receive? I talk about selective perception tips on handling questions, and give a lot of great tools on how to check for understanding. And then the T-step, and you know, David, it's interesting because when I started this process of creating 
the impact model, the T was thank you. Because uh, I just thought, you know, when you're done, you say thank you. And then I realized after, you know, doing more coaching and learning how to be a coach that the T really wasn't thank you, it's transform. And so in the T step, we talk about how do you transform your thoughts and your words into actions to get the results that you intended. So that's the impact process. Again, it's a pretty simple um, six-step process, but not as easy to implement. What are some of the techniques that you use to make sure or ensure that the person that you're communicating, uh, that you're communicating with understands or receives the message exactly how you intended? Yes. Well, the first thing starts with the mindset. And the mindset is this. The meaning of the message comes from the receiver and not the sender. So many of us think that we control the meaning of the message, that what we have to work really hard on making sure we create it in a way that they're going to get it. And in reality, as hard as you want to work on creating a really clear message, there's still a great chance that it's going to be misunderstood. And that's something that's called selective perception. And I talk about this in the book and in the workshop, we talk about selective perception where, you know, some studies say up to 80% of the message is screened by the receiver. So when I'm saying, for example, let's just pick a word. You know, if I say the word dog, right, David, what kind of dog comes to mind for you? My dog. Yeah, what kind of dog do you have? It's a Belgian Malinois. Oh, wow, very nice. All right, well, I'm thinking of a little poodle, right? But so again, I, I, where's the meaning? I just say the word dog, right? The meaning comes from the receiver. So the first step to be understanding about clarity is to make sure you understand this. You're not, you're not totally responsible for the message being understood. So you always got to check in. You got to find ways to do that. So we talk about different ways to do that. And it, again, it depends on the method, right? So let's just talk about interpersonal communications. You know, in interpersonal communications, in a way we're doing that today, you and I, we, we can see each other. So we have both words, voice, and the nonverbal. Um, you need to be aware that a lot of the message comes from all three of those components. So when you're communicating, uh, you want to make sure, A, you're listening with your ears and your eyes because you can pick up on things that would give you a clue that maybe someone's not getting it. So that's one way to check is to make sure you, you know, if it's interpersonal, you make sure you have good eye contact and pay attention. And then also, it's good to leave time for questions or to make room for, you know, feedback. So we talk a lot about different tools and techniques one can use. For example, um, one thing that you've done a little bit today is you've kind of rephrased or paraphrased as you move from what I was sharing to get into your next question. So that's a technique, you know, the rephrasing or the paraphrasing. And I can give you a few more, but I want to stop there just to say it starts with making sure you understand that you're not totally in charge of where the meaning comes from, and you have to make sure that you check in for understanding, and then you use different tools and techniques. I want to go back to the the question that you asked, or you know, I want you to think of a dog, you know, and really simple exercise, but I think it demonstrates perfectly how the receiver shapes that image with either it's my dog or a dog that I want or dogs that I like, you know, and and when so you're you're relaying a message to to people that you're leading you're either you're trying to inspire them to accomplish the mission or uh, accomplish some goal and 
how they receive that message a lot depends on your body language the tone of your voice mm -hmm. the the congruency of the the message um like the actual message that you want to them to receive has got to be congruent with the tone of your voice your body language your uh, uh i don't know your excitement about it you know i mean if you're in a crappy mood and you're trying to relay a message that should be positive uh it's not going to come across exactly like that and the whole uh cognitive distortion where would would you say selective selective perception selective perception but a lot of it how how we perceive things is shaped by you know you know we could have had a crappy morning right um, but it's our experience, it's the, the person receiving the message, it's their experiences that are shaping what they actually receive. Exactly. And that's why, obviously, the better you know the person, the easier it's going to be to make sure that you're communicating effectively. So as a leader, that's one of the reasons why we talk so much about getting to know your people, you know, building trust and finding the time, you know, to really, you know, develop a relationship because that will allow that person then, A, to um, be open to asking questions or feeling safe or comfortable, right? Because if you, don't if you don't create that kind of environment, then we go back, Len, we go back to the 50s, right? Where, you know, I'm the boss and you do what I said, you know, and that autocratic kind of style of, of leadership just doesn't work anymore. And, and, it, and it's been proven not to work. And that's why so much of our time today has to be spent on developing good relationships and building trust. And those are all gonna contribute right, to the effectiveness of the reception. And like you said, once you get to know the person, because, you know, we're all a product of our past, right? I mean, where we come from, our experiences, our educational level, you know, our challenges, our successes, all these things create who we are, and that shapes how we receive information. And so that's why it's so important, again, to start with, I say always start with the fact that you remind yourself you're not you know, and totally in charge, a lot of the meaning is going to come from the receiver. So another technique, for example, David, would be to use um, a variety of methods when you're communicating. So, uh, for example, if you're on a phone call, you maybe you want to follow up with an email uh, with a summary and, and or ask them to follow up with an email with a summary. So using different methods to check in and help clarify is another way. That's why you see a lot of presenters use visuals right? Because the visual message reinforces the message. That's why, for example, if you look at data and you see it on a graph versus I just give you numbers, it's going to have an impact. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do, but it all starts with reminding yourself, you know, right, that we all are different and that the receivers going to put up, up a little bit of a screening on what we share. So make sure you check for understanding. I think that brings us back to the active listening, because as leaders, uh, understanding that everybody has that ability or that you know natural way of perceiving the message from somebody else as leaders we need to listen more than than we talk so a hundred percent i agree in fact one of the things i challenge my my leaders that i'm coaching is i'd like to know what they think their current you know, talk to listen ratio is. And people don't think about that. But as a leader, you know, uh, 
take some time. If you're a leader listening today, take some time to think through how much time of your day do you spend talking? How much of a time do you spend listening? And my suggestion is it, it needs to be at least 50-50, but more so probably depending on your role and, and where you are, it, it's more wanting to be you know 40% talking, 60% listening again. But you don't want it to be 90% talking, 10% listening. Can you touch on some of those active listening skills? Yes. And I'm going to go back to the same thing I did about checking for understanding. Again, we have to be in the right mindset. So um, one thing I've learned as a, as a trained coach uh, is a very important concept that our beliefs or our mindsets drive our behaviors. And our behaviors drive the results we get. So I always like to start with making sure we have the right mindset. So um, when I think about you know being a good listener, first thing I like people to remember or the mindset is, is that the norm is it's hard to be a good listener, right? So we all are going to struggle with this. I don't care how good you are. It's a natural tendency. And the reason that is, is because there's a gap between how fast people think and how fast people speak. And studies show, and again, you know, various ranges, but studies show that the average person can think at about 500 words per minute. And the average person can speak at about 150. So when you think about it, right? As I'm talking with you, David, your brain's clicking three times faster than I'm talking. And that's the reason why it's hard to be a good listener because you have to really be present because it's we think a lot faster. What are some of the techniques that you teach to remain present when, especially like, I'm, I'm a perfect example. I, I know that I talk slow and you know, I've been made fun of it for most of my career. Slow Talking Dave was my nickname for a long time. And acronyms, I mean, just imagine being called STD when you're out, <laughs> out hanging out with people. Um, but it's all because of how slow I talk. And most of the time, I can't, if, if I am having a conversation I tend to lose people uh, early on in the conversation because I speak so slowly and I have to be aware of that and speed things up. Um, right. Otherwise they'll try and finish the, the statement. <laughs> well, and, and again, just think about what I just shared, David, is that I'm thinking three times faster, right? So if your average pace is a hundred, then I'm thinking, you know, five times faster. Right. So I'm not saying you need to be talking a lot faster, but I just want you to be aware that's exactly what's happening is that the person you're talking with can think up to uh, you know three times faster. So my philosophy is when I coach folks, I say, hey, listen, we know that. And I think today even more of a struggle because people are more impatient. We're used to more multitasking. We are you know actually having a harder time being patient. So I encourage people, you know, I don't want you to talk so fast that you can't you know coherently get your thoughts together. But I think it's good practice for people to figure out how can I take up the pace a little bit if you're a slower talker. If you're a really fast talker, you need to take it down a little bit too, right? So it's finding the balance. So one, one way to be a better listener is to know, for example, what your tolerance is, right? As, as an, I'm an extrovert. On the influencer, I'm an influencer, right? On the DISC profile, for those of you who don't know about DISC, uh, you go by what's called uh, internal or external, analytical or relational. So I'm an external, right? I, I like, I'm an extrovert. So I like to think out loud and process information. And I'm more relational, even though I'm trained as an MBA, I'm more relational. 
So I'm on the high I side. So I like to talk a lot. So I know that for me to be a better listener, number one, I got to stop talking, <laughs> right? I got to leave opportunities for people to take a breath. And when I want people to answer a question, and this is something I teach my clients is when I am in a presentation or in front of a group and I say, are there any questions in my head? I have to count to seven. Because my first thought is, are there any questions? Okay, let's keep going. Back to the act of listening. If we understand that we're, we're thinking five times faster, or three times faster than the person we're listening to is, what are some things that we can do to, to remain present in that conversation? Yes. So let's start with what I call active. A lot of people forget these are really active listening tools. So here's an active tool. Take notes. You know, I mean, it's not always appropriate, but whenever possible, when I'm in coaching sessions, David, I tell my clients up front, look, I like to take a lot of notes. It's really to help me, you know, kind of process information. So um, I'm not taking, you know, notes to give to anybody, but I find that if I am taking some notes, it helps me stay focused. Another way I, I, I I'm able to stay focused is by um, making good eye contact. So when I'm watching the person, I'm looking for verbal cues. If they look like they're confused, if they look like they're tuning out, if they look like, you know, they're not really interested, then I'm going to shift the conversation, right? And if you're really not aware, some, what happens is for some people is they just go on and on and on because they have no idea. They don't see any clues that the person's, you know, being, being overwhelmed. So eye contact is another technique to be a good listener. Um, another technique is asking questions. And people think, well, I'm supposed to be listening. Well, yes, you're supposed to be listening, but also is as you're listening, if you're confused, it's okay to interrupt politely when time is right and ask a good question. Because what some people do, and this is maybe more true for introverts, is they tend to just wait and then person goes on and on and on, and then they tune out because they are confused. And then next thing you know, they're out in some other world using that gap to think about something else. So um, asking questions and getting clarity is another way to be a good listener. So those are three. I could go on if you like. I'm happy to share more ideas. Um, I'm kind of curious from your experience, what are some of the things that you found helpful to help you be a better listener? I, I like to try and put what the person is telling me into context, into a greater context. And if I'm uh, receiving it correctly, when I relay that message back to them, like this is, you know, restate it back to them like just want to make sure that I'm understanding exactly what you're you're saying and and restate whatever they said um and and that's just a practice that you know my my background is in the fire service and it's just a practice that we were taught so that when giving uh directives you know on a fire ground or an emergency scene you, you verify that you understood the direction um, and you, know, you restate it or rephrase it in the way because you know, we're, we're communicating over the radio. Sometimes those transmissions are cut off. So if you only come back with half of the message that they sent, they're supposed to restate the entire directive again. Um, yes. So that's, that's one of those uh, that, that I like to use and, and taking notes is another, um, just bullet points. 
making mm-hmm. sure making sure that I'm I'm keeping things uh, in order because I'm aware of my own cognitive distortions when I'm listening to somebody. And uh, if I go back to my notes, I can l- look at the message more logically and, yes. not, and not have it framed in emotion or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And by the way, I just wanted to show how I model, I'm modeling for our listeners how to be a good listener because I realized I was going on with a longer answer. So I pulled you in with a question. And so that's a way to check for understanding. That's a way to use audience engagement. Uh, so there's so many tools and techniques that I think we have to consciously be aware of and in advance almost sometimes plan out how are we going to engage people. And you shared, um, you know, like restating and rephrasing are really two good tools, but they're two different tools, right? Restating is where you say exactly what the person said. So if they say, I'm having a difficult day. You say, you're having a difficult day. And sometimes, you know, just restating back to the person is going to allow them to go longer. You're, so I'm having a difficult day. You're having a difficult day? Well, yeah, you know, because of blah, blah, blah. So, so sometimes restating is a good way to get that introvert engaged. Rephrasing is a little bit more for the check for understanding. Right, that's a C step. So you might say, so what I hear you saying, David, it sounds like you know, um, you're know you really busy today. Well, no, I'm not busy, I'm just having a difficult day. Oh, I see, so tell me more about that difficult day. So I'm, I'm saying what I think you're saying and you're giving me clarity. So you know, th- those are really good tools. And again, active listening is an important part of checking for understanding. It's an important part of you know, the activation step. It's an important part of transformation. You know, it's an important part of almost everything we do. So, uh, but I wanted to give you little distinctions. I, I want to go back to the the very first uh, part of of your process, the intention, how how to create a laser focused intention statement. Yes, the I is for the intention, and there's a couple ways to craft an intention. But I want to go back to what I said early on in the interview. Think before you speak. Think before you write. Right. Everything we do should be thought through as what's the intention, because the intention drives the whole communication. You know, for example, today, David, uh, my intention is to listen attentively and try to provide value to your listeners so that I'm always thinking about what can I share that's going to be helpful to them. That's my intention. Right. Uh, So if your intention for this meeting is to get information, hopefully you as the talker should be asking a lot of questions. Right. (laughs) If your intention is to deliver information, hopefully you as a talker will be doing more talking, right? So the intention drives everything. The laser-focused intention is really, it's kind of like an objective you write out for a speech, you know, but I think every communication should have an intention. So it's a very simple process. It works like this. I'm going to talk about blank with blank so that they will blank, right? So I'm going to talk with David today about communicating with impact so his listeners can learn some skills that they can put into practice to make a greater impact on their teams, on their coworkers, and in their life. That's my intention for today. So you just fill in the blanks. So what's the topic? Who's the audience? What's the, inten- what's the um, intention? So when you write this laser-focused intention out, and there's a template in the book, and if, you know, if, if your listeners want a sample of that, I mean, they can email me, I'll send it to them. But when you're using this model, you automatically start using some of the steps because you know, the topic is the message, the P is the person, and the activate is what do you want them to think, do, or feel, uh, right? So you're automatically, you know, out of, you got four of the six steps, because when you use these three with the intention, 
and you only got clarify and transform later. So that's the laser focused intention. And this takes like 30 seconds. I tell a lot of people, this is a step people skip most often. Just ask yourself 30 seconds. Why am I picking up the phone? Why am I writing an email? Why am I having a conversation with John? Why am I putting up this video, right? It just takes 60 seconds. One of the things that, uh, that I've talked about on other episodes is uh, a stoic practice of journaling and uh, journaling in the morning and at night before bed. You know, you, the, the nighttime journal is to kind of uh, close the books on the day to, you know, balance the ledger, so to speak. And the, the morning is to set your intentions for the day. Mm -hmm. how, how do you want to show up for your team? Yes. So when you think about the intention, right, for example, Let's talk about the message. If my intention is to help the audience feel good, then I want to make sure that my nonverbals are congruent with my intention, right? So the intention drives, if you go through every step, I can walk you through every step, you want to go back to the intention. Like if my intention is to build a relationship with somebody, then a text is not the best method, right? Because I, you can't build a relationship with a text. If my intention is to communicate you know, information quickly, well, then maybe a text is the right message. So the intention drives everything. Uh, and the other thing I want to share about the intention is usually, you know, the intention is something we write for ourselves to help us, you know, begin to craft a powerful communication. But sometimes you want to actually share the intention with the receiver. And this is very true for leaders. Whenever there's a big change is going on, I always tell my coaching clients, if people understand the why, they're more likely to accept the how. So when you're communicating change, sometimes you actually have to communicate the intention. You have to explain to the team why we're making these changes so that they understand it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if, if the leader is open to input or feedback, you know, the, the, the team can uh, support the action um, or support the change by you know, adding input, like, well, you know, this is what you're directing us, but if we take these steps, maybe we could get it done faster. I agree. Better. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things that, uh, that I read in your, in your media kit was the, the plus why perfectionism or linear thinking is getting in the way. And, and I believe that's, you know, when we're, when we're communicating with somebody, um, how, well, not everybody is, is thinking on a lineal path. Uh, if we shape our message in that way, it, it could be received uh, in, a, in a way that we don't want them. So I was just wondering if you could explain that a little bit more. Yes. So in the M step, I talk a little bit about how to create content. And a lot of people, you know, when they want to create content, they automatically start to think about structure and order. And sometimes that could really be limiting. For example, I don't know if you know much about the mind map. David, have you ever seen or used a mind map? Yes. And, and for our listeners today, a mind map is simply a little diagram where it looks like a wheel. You draw a circle and then you put some spokes on the circle. 
on a piece of paper and you can find software if you want online to do it. I, I like the old fashioned way, piece of paper and a pen. So when you wanna create content, instead of just thinking, okay, so what do I, how do I start this email? Hmm, I don't know, and so no, don't say that. You know, you, you get into this, what I call, you know, linear thinking and you start to become a perfectionist. Oh, this isn't gonna, don't say. So the other way to do it is just get your thoughts out there. So you do a mind map, you're right in a circle. I'm gonna to talk to Mary about her performance on the project last week. And in the circle, I put Mary's performance and then I just brainstorm. Um, what did she do well? That's one spoke. Uh, what does she think happened? That's another spoke. Um, what's the policy I wanna make sure she understands that? And you just pop out these thoughts on this map very quickly. Some of them you may end up using in your communication, some you may not, but the point is don't start linear, start non-linear. And once you go around with, you know, with the circle in the main spokes, then you go back and you look at it and you say, um, now what would I want to cover in these, in this particular spot? So if I say, what's the policy? I might have three sub spokes that say, um, remind Mary of the, of the policy, you know, uh, in, the, in the manual section 43.3, um, ask Mary about, did she understand the policy in the past? And what can we do differently moving forward regarding the policy? So then I would expand that thought but a couple thoughts. And you do that for every, every spoke. Now you got sub spokes. And, and in about four or five minutes, you're gonna have a, a way more content than you need. Now you could take out a piece of paper. Now you can open up your laptop and you can start to put things in order. First thing I wanna do is, and you go around the spoke and you start to figure out what's the structure. So if, if any of our listeners are the kind of folks that really like structure, I think structure is great, but not when you're starting to create content, it can get in the way. So start with something like a mind map or a nonlinear approach. If you don't like this approach, here's another way to do it. You take out a bunch of index cards. You write one thought on each index card, put it on the table, come back, fill out a few more thoughts on the index cards, put them on the table, and then put them in the right order. It's the same concept. I've got a great example of that exactly. Uh, <laughs> when, when I wrote my book, <clears throat> I wrote it. I thought I knew how I wanted it. And then I went back and I'm like, well, this is all out of order. I developed a, uh, an outline and tried to plug things in, but everything was tied together in such a way that I, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I almost scrapped it. And, uh, luckily I found a really good editor that, uh, I guarantee you she did the mind map. <laughs> and yeah, and so she took a look at it and, and tried to figure out, you know, how would this be more effective or what's a better way to structure this to get the information out there? Yeah. yeah. And it, and how it came together is beautiful. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm really proud of it. Um, did you do something similar when you wrote your book? I did. Well, actually, I, uh, here's how I wrote the book, David. I actually recorded my full day workshop oh. and I had it transcribed <laughs> because I know that I'm very impatient. I would never sit down and want to write. So I started with the recording because I've been teaching the class for years. You know, um, everybody kept saying, you should get a book. I'm like, yeah, I'll get a book. Yeah. You know, and then eventually I decided, OK, I better listen to my audience. Right. <laughs> and so I decided to record the workshop, had it transcribed. Then I started to go through the transcription. And then I started to kind of, you know, put it into different parts. And, but I'll tell you what really made the book happen for me is I hired a book coach. Because I, I think one thing I talk a lot about is staff your weaknesses. I know I'm not a writer. I know it takes me forever to write. And so I went out and got help. 
And I think good leaders understand the importance of asking for help and it's okay to get help. And my book coach really did a great job of, you know, keeping me accountable and, and helping me think it through a little bit. And anyway, so that's how I, I did my book. One of the things that struck me very early in our conversation was you mentioned a mentor. Yes. And I, I can't, it took me a long time to really understand the importance of a mentor. Um, I, was, I was pretty far along in my career when I actually asked somebody to be my mentor and establish that relationship. And uh, I, if, if those listening, if you haven't considered or you, you really don't have anybody that you consider to be a mentor, uh, it, it can be an amazing change in your life. Uh, both personally, 100%. Yeah, both personally and professionally. For the listeners, you know, I think I call it there's an informal mentor and then there's a formal mentor, right? And, and you know, when I mentioned about my high school teachers and my, my boss, you know, my high school teachers were informal mentors. I mean, I didn't sit down and ask them to be my mentor. They just saw something in me I couldn't see in myself. And they then encouraged me and helped me. And I, I would go back occasionally and ask for some feedback. So um, we all can find informal mentors. And then, of course, there are regular mentors, which, by the way, you know, I kind of wish there was coaching when I was growing up. I would have hired a coach. There was no such thing as coaching. I mean, this is something I started doing in 1995, and I was an early adopter. I mean, the International Coach Federation wasn't even around yet when I started coaching. So if you can't find a mentor, you can always hire a coach. And I'm a big believer in coaching, and I'm not saying you have to hire me. Um, I actually have two coaches. I have coaches that I've hired a book coach. I have a speech coach and I have a regular coach I meet with every other week. So um, again, just want to make sure people are aware if you can't find a mentor, you can always hire someone to be your coach. For those listening that are interested in contacting Patrick, I will have his website and links to his social media, LinkedIn, all that uh, in the show notes. But just for those listening, real quick, if you're out on your phone, uh, Patrick, what's, what's your website or the best way to get in touch with you? Sure, my website's very simple. It's um, patrickdonadio.com. That's D-O-N-A-D-I-O, patrickdonadio.com. And another way to just um, connect with me is just go to LinkedIn, you know, and just um, send me a LinkedIn request. And if you wouldn't mind in the notes, you know, you can make comments, just mention you know, the show, and I'd be happy to connect with you that way as well. And you can go to my website, you can go to the contact page, you can send me information or questions. I mean, I'm here for you. And uh, by the way, I have a resources page on my website with a lot of articles that are free on things we talked about today, David. So, you know, your listeners can go there and just get some more information on any of these topics. Yeah, I, I really liked how your website is laid out. I, I went through it a little bit this morning and um, was just checking out, you've got a lot on there. It's pretty impressive. And, you know, if you want to purchase your book, again, it, you can go to your website, um, see, actually, you've done so much in your career. It, it's pretty incredible. So for those that, that are interested in maybe having Patrick come and, and do a workshop, uh, do a keynote at one of their events, um, you know, connect with him on LinkedIn or, or go to his website. Um, and, and I would encourage you to, to buy his book. 
I mean, you heard it here. I mean, that's his, his workshop in book form. So, <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me today. Before we go today, is there anything that you feel is important that we didn't touch on that you'd like to leave with the listeners? I would, I'd be happy to do that, David. Um, years ago, when I first started doing some coaching, I was coaching a, a high-level leader, and uh, he shared with me a phrase that I really, really was impressed with. He said, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. He said, as I've learned one thing as a leader, as I've moved up in the ranks, you know, that I, I really need to take responsibility for both my successes and my failures. And the sooner I learn that I can do that and I can learn from my mistakes, the better. So what I want to share with my audiences today, and this is how I close every workshop and every keynote with, with one of my favorite quotes, and that is nothing changes until you change. So I hope today, David, we've given your listeners uh, two or three or four things that they could do to be more effective communicators. I know we covered quite a few. But here's the secret, you know, when you finish listening to us today, if you go back to your daily routine and do nothing different, you're going to be no different than you were before you joined us on the podcast. So take an idea you heard today, put it into practice, learn from it, make some mistakes, and you can move forward to become a greater leader, a greater communicator, and most importantly, make an impact in someone else's life. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.